Let's uh, pray before we read God's word. Dear God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you are faithful and true. Thank you for your love for us. And may we know that you are good, and may we rejoice that your kingdom is coming. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is Hannah's prayer of praise after her son, her miracle son, Samuel, was born. And then she fulfilled her vow and gave him, he was probably about three at that time, and she gave him to the temple of God to serve God forever. And so here is her prayer of praise. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So this is our, our second week looking at the life of Hannah from the book of 1 Samuel. And last week we considered her troubles and the role of prayer in her life during her troubles. And so today we're considering her, pray, her praise to God for his deliverance. And after reading, considering her prayer, there's two questions that, um, two questions we could ask of our own prayers just by looking at her prayer. And the first would be, when was the last time you spent time in prayer, lengthy time in prayer, just praising God for who he is? And the other question is, when was the last time you earnestly prayed for God's kingdom to come? And, and my desire for you from hearing the text today is that you will know that God is good. I, I think a lot of times, too many times, when we say God is good or that he's right, uh, we, we somehow mean that God is, is technically correct. Um, almost, almost as if he's, he's, we have to, we're forced to admit that he's technically correct, but secretly 
we wish he wasn't always right on, wasn't right about this issue or something. And, um, but what I want, what I hope and wish for you is that in your, your innermost being, you will know that God is good. He's good to you. He's good all the time. And, and if you can come away from this and list five reasons why he's good or whatever, that, that is great. But, but, uh, but more importantly, you know, I just think about because academically, people can rattle off academic reasons why God is good and yet remain unchanged by that. It doesn't, it doesn't change them. And my hope is that your heart rejoices from the truth that God is good. I hope as well that you are genuinely glad that his kingdom is coming. Hope by hearing his word, it makes your heart glad that his kingdom is coming. We, Hannah rejoiced in God, her heart exalted in the Lord. But what is, is interesting is that she said very little in this prayer about her personal deliverance. Uh, instead, she declared universal truths about God and about his dealings with all mankind. And, and Hannah saw her personal deliverance as part of God's ongoing work to deliver all people who trust in him. And her prayer included these, it declared these universal truths that affect all people. And they're still true today. And, and you look at the rest of 1 Samuel, history records that the truths she declares here, they, they play out in history. That, that's how it, the rest of this history recorded plays out. God judged the wicked. He delivered the faithful. And he established a kingdom that would bring peace to the faithful and would bring justice to the oppressed. That's what happens in 1 Samuel. And Hannah declared that those truths are still true for us today. God delivers his faithful ones. And these truths are for you. So that your heart can rejoice and that you can be glad. You can have joy that God's kingdom is coming. And so first of all, we see that there is joy in who God is. There, there is joy in who God is. My heart rejoices in the Lord, she says, in who he is. Well, how so? Well, that's, that's going to be spelled out more as we go along. Then she says, my horn is exalted in the Lord. And the horn here is a symbol. It symbolizes in my paraphrase, <laughs> strength that fights for me. That's how I'd say it. It symbolizes strength that fights for me. And, and this symbol of the horn is taken from the ox, a very common agriculture animal in that time. And the ox fights with his horns. His strength is, it's, is his neck and his shoulders. He faces everything head on. Um, and so the, the symbol is taken from the ox. And so, and it says that this horn, this strength that fights for Hannah is exalted in the Lord. It's raised up above all opposition because there is no higher power or authority than the Lord God. And now, because of this, Hannah speaks derisively of her enemies. Now, this doesn't mean that she's bullying or shaming them. Because if you remember last week, she had a rival. 
So she, she is actually, she is pushing back against those who bullied and taunted her. She had a rival, another woman who shamed her and made her miserable. But when the Lord is your strength, the taunting of your rivals, rivals does not need to discourage you, no matter how strong that rival may appear. And because God was Hannah's salvation, she could rebuke her enemies. You know, and I imagine what that rebuke might have been like. You know, was it something like, you know, what, what, what was that you said, Panina? Oh, that, that I was, was barren, worthless, cursed by God. Well, look now. God has favored me. He has made me fruitful and blessed. But Hannah was not rejoicing as if she was now better than her rival. She was rejoicing because God has show, had shown his goodness to her. Through God's goodness to her, Hannah had experienced the uniqueness of the Lord God. She said, there is none holy like you. And holy means righteous, perfect in all his ways. So God is perfect, just, and wise in all his dealings with humanity. No one is perfect like the Lord God Almighty. And she says, there is no rock like our God. And here the word rock means a solid foundation. As I shared in the children's message about that, that Netflix, the Netflix show, The Floor is Lava, which is hilarious and a lot of fun to watch because <laughs> most people spill off. They, they try to, to hop onto something, a piece of furniture, and it's not stable. It wobbles, it totters, it slides, it swigs. There's nothing to hold on to and everything's wet and sticky and they slide off into the goo. And, but, with some, but if they can make it, they find something in the middle somewhere that is stable something that, that's not going to move, something they can just stand on and regain their footing, a place they can rest, something solid they can trust. And that is the Lord God. He is, a, he is like that. He is a solid rock, a solid foundation. He is unchanging. You can turn to him knowing certain of his steadfast love for you. And then verse 3 gives a warning to those who would taunt the poor and the weak who are trusting in God. And many people today mock Christians. They call God a crutch for the weak. But God warns them. God knows. God knows every scornful word. He knows every arrogant thought. He knows the secret things in the heart that no one can see. And Hannah had learned from Scripture who God was, and now she had experienced His goodness, and her heart rejoiced in God and who He was. He is perfectly good in all His ways. He is unchanging, a stable foundation for His people, and He knows all things. And this was a joy for Hannah because it meant that God would be perfectly good in dealing with her. Even when people were not. His steadfast love would always be there for her, even when people were cruel. 
and he knows the truth. Her rival may have called her worthless and cursed, but God knew that her heart trusted in him as her deliverer. And her faith had persevered when circumstances had tested her. And on the other side of that trial came an even deeper faith in who God was. God knows. He knows all, and he was her rock and would always deal with her in his steadfast love. And Hannah declared this to be true, not just for her, but for all people. And this is still true of God today. He is holy. He is perfectly good in all his dealings with us. He is a rock. He is a unchanging foundation for your life. And those who turn to him will find his steadfast love. And he knows all. He knows your heart. He knows every challenge you have faced, every attack on your soul. He knows how hard it has been at times to believe. But as you trust in his perfect love for you, you will find that he is better than you had known before. Hannah also rejoiced in what God does. There is joy from what God does. Verse 3 concludes with the words, By him actions are weighed. And I was reading one commentator who asserts that, that this verse is not emphasizing that God does the weighing, like God holds the scales. And, but, I mean, that, that is true, but that's not the emphasis. What the emphasis is that God's deeds are the weight of righteousness. They are what actions are weighed against because what follows then is a list of what God does the type of things God does and the first part is is a series of of great reversals great reversals both tragic and celebratory <laughs> and we should not not read these as promises of what will happen for every wicked person or for every poor person Instead, we should understand that when you see these great reversals, you know God did that. That had to be the hand of God. Because other systems, the ways of people, they operate other ways. But this is what God does. And so the first verse, he says, the bows of the mighty are broken. And so this could mean uh, the bowman is, is aiming his arrow and the bow breaks in his hands and falls apart. Uh, but there's another translation that I really like. It says the bowman, the bowman is confounded. And a modern equivalent might be the sniper is confounded. And, there, and there's a story about George Washington that illustrates this. And I, I found this account in a book called The Light and the Glory. And here, here's my paraphrase of it because it really, would be really long otherwise. <laughs> so as a young man, George Washington, he served with the British Army at the Battle of Monongahela, say that three times fast, <laughs> in 1755. And where, where the British were badly defeated. And 15 years later, Washington and a friend were exploring in the wilderness territory and they were met by a band of Native Americans who said that their chief wished to speak with Washington. And the chief came and he told Washington that he had been at that battle 
And he had told his warriors, he said, hey, see that, that tall and daring warrior there? He's not of the Redcoat tribe, meaning he's clearly not British, but he, he has an Indian's wisdom and his warriors fight as we do, meaning that they're all taking cover in the trees in the wilderness so you can't find them and shoot them. <laughs> but only Washington, only he is exposed. So quick, let your aim be certain and he dies. But the rifles of these expert marksmen could not hit him. And years later, this chief felt compelled to tell Washington that the great spirit protected him and was guiding his destiny. And of course, we know that great spirit is the living God, the Lord Almighty, the Holy Spirit. And there are details of this battle also come from other sources, as well as Washington's journal, and they collaborate this. They tell us that, that Washington at this battle had two horses shot out from under him, and he had four musket balls shooting holes. He had four holes in his coat from musket balls sh shooting by him. There was nothing wrong with the Indians' markmanship. They just couldn't hit him. <laughs> Something protected him. Verse 4 says, the bowmen were confounded. The best marksmen in the world couldn't hit him. No matter how close they came, they just never hit the mark. And when that happens, you know God did that. God protected him. And then another great reversal. The feeble bind on strength. And binding here is a picture of, of strapping on your armor for battle. And one way we could, we could see this happening, um, it's, there's a, it just says the weak strap on strength, but, so there's a lot of ways this could happen, but one way this could happen is that you know, the person who you thought had no strength, had no courage, no resolve, they show a strength and a boldness that surprises everyone. Because there are sufferings and adversity that will cause the strong and mighty to give up. But somehow, among the weak, someone will show incredible resolve to press on. And that resolve is because their weakness had taught them to trust in God and His Holy Spirit put courage and resolve in their heart. Trust not in their strength, but in His. Because the strong will give up when he thinks his strength is not enough. When he thinks it's greater than his, he will give up. But God empowers the weak to trust in him and press on. A great reversal. Now, and then verse 5, quite, quite straightforward, but it's very significant. Those who had plenty to eat now work for bread, not even for money. They say, hey, you can pay me in bread. I'm that, I'm that hungry. But those who were always hungry now never hunger. The barren has borne seven children, but the mother of many is forlorn. And forlorn here means a person who, who longs for fellowship and comfort, but all have abandoned him. And when I think of this, I think of those in prison or many of the elderly in nursing homes. They may have had many friends and family in life, 
but now they are alone and they feel like no one knows them and no one cares for them. That's forlorn. Again, <laughs> extreme reversals. And we're not told how often these reversals happen and we're not told that they always happen to the wicked or that they always happen to the righteous. We're simply told that they do happen. And they defy all expectations. All the conditions were right for success or all the misfortunes were in place for tragedy and yet the opposite happened. And when that happens, you know, God did that. And we will see later that these are all working together for a just and good outcome. Hannah now directly states at this, from here, after this, she states things God does. She says, God does this. He kills and brings to life. And this is emphasizing that God's plans, his actions, cannot be thwarted. And we see this play out in the history of 1 Samuel. The, pro, the high priest Eli is warned that both his sons will die on the same day because of their wickedness. And they do. King Saul is warned that in an upcoming battle, both he and his son Jonathan will die, and they do. When God appoints the death of the wicked, there is no escape. And God brings to life. And we can think here of, of the birth of new life, like baby Samuel and for Hannah. But we also think, can think of the preservation of life. David's life was preserved against all odds, through years of exile, through hundreds of battles. God is Lord over death and life. He governs not only the life of the body, but the destination of the soul. He sends the soul down to Sheol, the place of the dead, and he raises back up. He calls the soul back from, the, from death to return life to the body that was dead. He can do these things. And God also changes fortunes in life. He makes poor and rich. He brings down so that one is despised and rejected. And he exalts so that one is honored and respected. He raises the poor and needy from the dust and the ash heap. And the ash heap here was burnt garbage. So that they, those sitting in the ash heap, they are those who are so poor that sitting in the ash heap was the only way to keep warm. They were keeping warm by sitting in burnt garbage because they had nothing else. You know, it's turning cold now. Some of us are glad we have heated seats in our cars. I <laughs> went with my son's field trip to a farm on Friday, and I was, there was another parent there who had one of these fancy new coats with a button in the side. You heard of electric blankets, warmer blankets. Well, this was an electric coat. Just press a button on the side, and it heats up. Heats the cold up on the inside like an electric blanket. Part of me was thinking that's got to be a fire hazard of some sort, but, <laughs> but I'm sure they've perfected it somehow, so you're not worried about that. You know, we have so many ways. Thank God, right? We thank God for health care. Well, we thank God we have so many ways. We rarely have to worry about staying warm. And here, those in the ash heap, I mean, this is the lowest place in life. You're so cold. You're so helpless and needy, the only way you can keep warm is going, I mean, is by sitting in the garbage. Not, I mean, 
You're not even, you're not, you're not, it's not like you're picking through the garbage to find, gather people's leftovers. No, this is the garbage that's so bad, people burn it to get rid of it. And you're sitting in, the, in those ashes to keep warm because you have nothing else. God takes those people who were so low and he seats them with princes. He says the poor inherit the seat. They inherit it. They don't have to continually prove it or earn it. It belongs to them because God has given it to them. It is theirs. And when that happens, great reversal. You know God did that. And it says all these are under God's governance because the pillars of the earth are his. And he has set the world upon them. And this does not suggest the ridiculous idea that the planet rests on top of a pillar. <laughs> He's saying that, no, the earth here means the, the dirt, the dry land, the continents. So the, it's, it's saying that the pillars are the earth, the earth pillars, <laughs> the solid ground that our world is built upon, where we live our lives, is God's creation. God created it. He created the world we live in. And he intervenes in our lives. He governs life and death, fortune and misfortune. And this was a great joy for Hannah, a source of joy for her, because God gives the poor and needy reason to hope. He is the God of extreme reversals. If you are feeble, and forlorn, or if there is hunger in your body, or hunger in your soul, if you are poor and needy, if your life is in the ash heap, take hope. There is a God who delivers the lowly who trust in Him. There is joy from what God does. In verse 9 and 10, now, these speak of God's coming kingdom, and his kingdom is joy for his faithful. There is joy in God's coming kingdom. It says, God will strengthen his anointed king to be exalted above all others. God will judge the whole world, and those who opposed God will be judged for their wickedness. But... The faithful will be delivered. God will guard the feet of his faithful ones. So that even if they stumble, they will not fall down to destruction. And these words are comfort for God's faithful ones. And they are a call to repentance for the wicked. Those who long for God's kingdom will find it. And everything in his kingdom will be marked by his perfect holiness, his steadfast love, and his perfect knowledge. The poor and needy will have strength and plenty. The lowly will be exalted and honored. Hannah saw her own experience as a forerunner of what would be true for all God's people in his kingdom. And this played out in the history of Israel. God anointed David, his anointed king, that he raised up in strength, and he raised him up to establish a godly kingdom on earth. And as this kingdom came, the ungodly were 
cast down and judged, and the faithful were raised up. But this kingdom was imperfect, just as those who established it were imperfect. So Israel was a forerunner of the true kingdom of God. And it was this true kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Mark 1, 14 through 15 says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It is Jesus who delivers the faithful and brings them into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the greatest reversal of all is that Jesus took our place to redeem us. He came down from His majesty and power and became one of us. He became poor so that you could have the riches of God's kingdom. He was condemned so that you could have the place of honor. He is the one who confounds the bowman because the death meant for you struck him instead. And through the forgiveness of sins, you are transferred into his kingdom, into the kingdom of God. You are a faithful one, not by your own doing, but because Jesus is the perfectly faithful one who took your place. If God did not deliver you and me and each of us, we would be cut off in darkness, hearing those rolls, those rolls of thunder warning, knowing that we will be judged for our wickedness. But for Jesus' sake, God transfers you into his kingdom. And when he brings you into his kingdom, he puts the kingdom in your heart by his spirit so that you see and know the goodness and the love of God and so that you rejoice in who he is and what he does so that your heart longs for his kingdom to come. His kingdom comes today in the hearts of those who believe in him. But it will come in its fullness when Jesus comes again. And in his kingdom, everything will be governed by his perfect love and wisdom. And then our joy will be complete. It will be full. So may the prayer of all our hearts be, thy kingdom come. And may that bring you joy and gladness in your heart in him. Amen.